Hello, this is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hi, Georgie. I'm your number one fan. Get busy living. Get busy dying. Here's Johnny. <laughs> And so hello and welcome back to the Constant Reader Podcast with me, your host, Richard Shepard. And first of all, before we get into today's episode, thank you so much to everybody for your kind words regarding our last episode, which was an interview with Kim C of the Year of Underrated Stephen King Podcast. As I can tell from the viewing figures, she has um, uh, quite a following. And uh, thank you to all the new listeners who listen to her, who now listen to me. And I urge you, if you haven't heard that interview yet, to go back and check it out and like and subscribe and rate and review it um also thanks to the boys over at the king sides podcast for having me on to say a few brief words about 22 11 63 last month that's also available online and i urge you to go back and check it out if you want to hear me ramble more about that incredible book but uh today's podcast is something very special i have uh, daphne bewier who is a belgian filmmaker and actress who grew up on film sets. She began in the film industry as an actress, playing in more than 25 films alongside such greats as Isabelle Huppert and Martha Keller. Uh, she directed her first short film, Dance Funeba, at the age of 20, and her second film, C'est Toi Le Chat, was selected for the uh, Swedish Uppsala Film Festival. Um, in 2015, she made her first feature-length documentary, Devon Les Barreaux, Behind Bars, about the professionals working in a prison and her most recent project is the one that interests uh, us the most and also includes people behind bars it's stephen king on screen a feature-length documentary looking at the film and television adaptations of the maestro's work uh it's really good it's um it's not a conventional documentary it's got a very stylized very cool opening and beginning it's got very interesting talking heads and uh, yeah it's got some really interesting things to say so good morning uh thank you for talking to me today Daphne hi nice to meet you good morning oh it's an absolute pleasure thank you so um it seems kind of like a no-brainer that uh, to to do like um a documentary about Stephen King's films because it's such a big part of his work and I'm amazed nobody's kind of done this before so thank you very much for for coming out with this when did you first come up with the idea of making this documentary actually it was in december uh 2019 that i came up with this idea uh well it's been in my head for a few months at that moment really but it's started yeah the adventure started at that time uh it's when i realized that i should try to contact some directors to see if they were willing to talk to me because obviously it's a project that I couldn't do if I didn't have the directors uh, being a part of it, since it's really the point of view that I wanted to have. So yeah, it started basically around that year. So under the movies coming just now, actually, with the COVID and everything, it's been crazy. And it it was such a, a big project that it took some years to do. Yeah. Excellent. And as I've kind of hinted at, the documentary is visually very um, striking. It begins with a uh, um, 
a sequence in which uh, you uh, play uh, somebody coming into uh, Stephen King's Maine, uh, driving to uh, a shop called uh, Creep Shop, I think, and there are hundreds of little uh, Easter eggs and hundreds of little visual motifs that uh, I think the real fans have kind of recognized. Uh, was it always the plan to kind of begin with this very eye-catching, very striking kind of sequence? Yeah, actually, uh, talking with the producer, we were like, okay, we should have something like fictional to begin the, the documentary and some kind of original, you know, beginning. And uh, talking about it, we thought that could be great to, you know, have give the, um, the audience the, the, the feeling of entering into the Stephen King universe before meeting all those great directors. So we were talking about it a lot because it was kind of a big thing to organize for sure. Uh, we wanted to push the this concept very, um, you know, to push it further every time. And uh, we thought, okay, if we are going to do this, then we have to work with actors who played in previous adaptations so we had the great luck to have James Khan in the documentary um, in this fictional part. I mean, uh, Tim Curry, Amy Irving, uh, Miko Yu, Jeffrey Deman, and uh, Ed Wheeler, Carol Strickland, um, Alexandra Paul. So amazing actors to, to, to be a part of this uh, small fictional introduction. And we shot in Maine, for sure. <laughs> I was going to ask, was it Maine? Because uh, you could have quite easily fudged it, but no, it's, uh, that, that's lovely to know. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we, we shot a few uh, shots, actually, in Belgium. The, 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 the first, uh, the opening shot was uh, made in Belgium. Uh, because it was like the beginning of the project. And we were like, okay we should make something like a trailer. Um, so we had to make these first shots uh, in Europe because of COVID for sure at that time. Um, but after we did all uh, in, uh, in Maine, in Bangor, actually. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. As I, as, as I said, there's kind of lots of lovely little visual gags as well. And I think it's going to be um, the discussion of a great deal of... Uh, uh, fan conventions and uh, uh, Reddit boards kind of dissecting the sequence and uh, listing them all. Uh, can you give me like uh, one of your favorite uh, 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 Easter eggs from that sequence? Well, actually, the Crip Shop is one of the the, 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 the thing that I really liked because we we worked a lot on this uh, on this shop. And... Um, when we were scouting actually in Maine to find the perfect street, uh, we, we saw like this amazing street and at the end there was this empty shop and we thought, okay, this is perfect actually. It's really the place we are looking for. And um, this, this small boutique was perfect, you know, to, to transform it a little bit and to give it like a Stephen King vibe, you know? And uh, so we made like, we had to do everything actually. We painted and we uh, decorated it. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a huge work, but it was amazing to, you know, 
like we had this feeling of being in Stephen King universe each time we entered in the shop. It really works. It's very effective. Thank you. Um, in the documentary, you focus a lot on the work of uh, uh, Frank Darabont, who, of course, made um, Shawshank Redemption, uh, The Green Mile and The Mist. Um, what is it about his adaptations in particular that you think make them kind of so effective translations of Stephen King's work? Well, actually, I think Frank Darabont is a great, um, I, I mean, is he has something like an author as well. Uh, is a, a great filmmaker because I think he uh, shots his film like he would write, you know, the, the the story, and it's something that is quite impressive because a lot of directors don't have that quality. I think it's like you are going on a journey when you are watching uh, Frank Darabont's uh, film. And I think it's something quite special. And it's, um, you know, it's amazing because like most of the film he makes are three hours long or something. And you, even though you don't like, it's never too long. You know what I mean? It's never... Sure. <laughs> you you have the feeling that you should cut one or two scenes because it's dragging. It's it's always so well. You know the the, the rhythm is just perfect. Actually, I think that's absolutely right. It, it is it is about the rhythm, isn't it? And one of the lovely things about your documentary was um, you'd managed to source a lot of behind the scenes footage, so we mm. got to see like Stephen King celebrating his birthday on the set of uh, The Green Mile and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, how difficult was it kind of getting all the, the footage? Because there were some wonderful behind the scenes shots I hadn't even seen before. Well, actually we we did a lot of uh, research work. Uh, we were several uh, people on it actually, uh, trying to find the best behind the scene. And uh, the the one that was matching, you know, to the, to the documentary. And uh, even uh, the mist, we found some great behind the scene of the mist, actually. So uh, it takes a lot of time for sure because you have to to watch everything and to dig, to dig, to dig. And for example, um, uh, the behind the scene of Crip Show that that was mm. the one that was the hardest to to find. Actually, it's from like a VHS. So <laughs> sometimes we really had to 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 spend like I mean weeks looking after those behind the scenes. So yeah, it was a huge amount of work. It's very effective. So um, mm -hmm. uh, the documentary Stephen King on screen uh, it focuses on a lot of the um, how should we say uh, prestige kind of high quality adaptations. Um, and partly that's because I think, as you talk about in the documentary, we're kind of living in an era now where Stephen King adaptations are normally of a very good quality, normally very high quality. But uh, because I'm uh, considerably older than you are, I remember this, this period in the late 80s, early 90s, when there was a whole slew of very bad straight to video Stephen King film adaptations. Now, I, I know you focus on the quality in your documentary, but do you have any like guilty pleasure, like uh, so bad it's good Stephen King adaptations in mind? 
Uh, actually, I have a soft spot for maximum overdrive. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad somebody has. (laughs) I must admit, actually, I I kind of like this one. So, yeah. But, I mean, you know, it's impressive to see how many adaptations uh, exist. It's, It's incredible. So, for sure, you have a few bad ones, but there are so many great ones and it's it's those ones that are sticking with us and that are uh, yeah they are a huge part of uh, cinema history i think was that the criteria you had for the documentary about selecting which adaptations to include and which ones not to include then actually no it's something that i really worked on uh, after doing all the interviews trying to have something kind of organic in the in the, the edits. I didn't want to have something like, you know, talking about every adaptation that was made or and so it was something like depending on the material I had talking to the directors, trying to make a path uh, that would make sense, you know. I didn't want to have something like switching to one film to the next because it, it wouldn't make sense. So I really wanted to explore all the different uh, themes that we have in Stephen King works and um, doing so, finding a path that would make sense. And uh, yeah, we, we worked a lot on the edit as well because we wanted something like, you know, to, to give the audience that... She, the, the feeling that you are with the directors, you know, in a dis- like in a discussion, not not something like okay, I'm watching an interview, but something like more uh, intimate. Absolutely, it it really is a, a great list of uh, interviewees that you've assembled for this project. Actually, I yeah. I mentioned Frank Darabont, but there's also um, a Tom Holland who was a guest on this show recently, and he's wonderful. Um, how did you go about kind of getting everybody? involved and was there kind of anybody on your list that you really wanted to talk to but uh, for whatever reason couldn't manage to get uh well actually it's a shame because i really wanted to have uh, marie lambert uh, and uh, kimberly pierce because they mm. they're the only woman who directed stephen king adaptations and i thought it could be an interesting point of view because you know they are like just the two of them so I thought it could be nice, but unfortunately, they, they didn't want to, to, to be a part of the documentary. But uh, besides that, I mean that I'm really happy with all the directors that we have because they are all amazing. And uh, I've, I've, I had the feeling of like entering a community uh, because, you know, I managed to get in touch with a lot of directors, but still when I was talking for, with Frank Darabon, for example, he told me, okay, uh, did you get the chance to talk to Greg Nicotero? And I was like, no, actually, I would love to, but I, I, I wasn't able to reach him. And he said, okay, so don't worry, I will send him a little email and uh, because I think it could be great if he was in the documentary, I was like, yeah, for sure. I think the same. 
And uh, he said, okay, let me get back to you. And a few days later, I got this email from Frank Darabin saying, okay, so I speak to, to Greg Nicotero. He will be in touch with you soon. So it's something that I think is amazing with directors because they are so involved, actually, uh, in their work. And um, it's, it's something that I think is great when you are... Uh, doing the interview with a director because you can sense how much he is passionate, you know, and it's it's amazing talking to directors. It's always amazing, you know. It's like having a private masterclass, you know, and uh, yeah. So it was like entering into this family somehow. I always get the impression that. Um... If you start with Mick Garris, he seems to know everybody. That, that's that's uh, it, it, yeah. it, it, it's like the, the center of the web, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and Mick is such a nice guy. Actually, is uh, is the best, and it was great having him uh, in the interviews, but also on the sets because uh, Mick Garris came uh, to 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 shoot um, one day with us in Maine. Actually, he was uh, playing a blind man working yeah. in a in the store uh, and reading a book. So something <laughs> very Stephen King, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I see you've dedicated the film to James Kahn. What was your experience working with him? Well, actually, we got in touch with his assistants. Um, we didn't have the chance to, to talk to him directly. But um, we thought, okay, let, let's try to, 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 to have a, you know, him in the film somehow because he's such an iconic uh, actor. And uh, so he agreed instantly, you know, uh, and um, unfortunately, he died uh, just before the the film was released, and uh, it was, uh, yeah, we were really crushed because we we thought it's so yeah. It, it was like a few months after he sent us the the little um, link, you know, to to his performance, and so it made sense for us to dedicate this film in his memory you know it was so wonderful hearing him in in the film and tim curry as well because yeah. they've got such beautiful mellifluous recognizable voices absolutely, it was absolutely lovely that you that you could uh, get that in there yeah yeah we were so thrilled actually and even d wallace uh, she made uh, the last mm. voice actually at the at the gas station and uh, yeah we were so grateful to have all these huge actors you know it's not always when you are a young filmmaker that you have the chance to have all those big names uh in a, in a documentary it's incredible actually it really really is effective as well so good work um as a fan of uh, stephen king and as a filmmaker what are, what are your opinions on stanley kubrick's adaptation of the shining do you think it works I actually, I think the the Shining is a great uh, film because when you are watching it, I mean, it's stunning. Truly, it's stunning. But I must say that it's not a faithful adaptation to 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 Stephen King's work for sure. And uh, there are plenty example of 
things that prove that it didn't quite work as an adaptation of King. And even beside that fact, I mean, there are so much things that are not really working, I guess, with the characters in my perspective, for sure. It's mm -hmm. only my opinion. But yeah, I think the, the, the character of Wendy, who's a great character in the book, for example, in the film, she's just like crying all the time and not, not really... She, she she's she's not as strong as she is in the in the book you know and uh, it's something that i think don't connect with me you know and even the the the, the couple she makes with her husband you're like okay but if mm. her husband you 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 you, you <laughs> had this reaction i mean you are watching someone that you know it's the the person she knows the, the best you know and is going completely crazy. I mean, at some point, you you should have something, you know, uh, between them, like a reaction from her, not just like she's she's mostly silent all the time. So yeah, mm. it's something I had a little trouble with. And um, but beside this, um, for sure, it's the, the 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 shots are stunning and. Uh, I mean the, the 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 you know the shot with the elevator and all the blood coming, it's it's amazing. It's a it's a, an amazing shot. But but for sure there are some things that are not um, connect. Well, I'm I don't feel connected with in, in the film. Yeah, I I I know what you mean. I I echo those sentiments. Also, you're saying about the elevator scene as a there's a beautiful shot in your documentary where the elevator opens and red balloons come spilling out. And I, I thought that was extraordinarily effective, mainly because it combines two Stephen King references in one, but also it's just a, a beautiful image. Oh, oh, thanks. Actually, it's, um, it's a great story behind that shot uh, because I, I really wanted... Uh, we were talking with the um, the producer, and he told me, "Okay, I have got these red balloons. We we should do something with them." And I was thinking, and I didn't find the right idea. You know, the the one that you are like, "Okay, that's what we should do." And I was like, "Okay, so what?" I was talking with um, one of my assistants actually, and I told him, "You know what? You should blow the balloons because." If they are all ready, then after we will decide what to do with them. <laughs> and I told him, okay, you should do it perhaps in your room. You'll have space. And I was like, okay, but if we have to put them into the elevator to... And I was like, okay, that's it. That's the idea. Actually, we have to put the balloons in the elevator. And I ran to the producer. I ran to... Um, to uh, my GP actually, and it was like four um, in the afternoon, and I told them, okay, I know what we have to do, but it will take time. So, is it possible? And they were like crazy about this idea. Actually, they said, okay, that's amazing, uh, but we have to find more balloons because <laughs> we we had like a hundred balloons, but in this elevator, it was like we had three, you know. So they ran to different stores trying to find find red balloons, and 
you wouldn't believe how difficult <laughs> it is to find like red balloons with nothing on it, like not actually anniversary or a picture of the movie cars, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so they struggle a, a, a lot to find them. But at the end, we, we made that shot and we were so happy. Like it was one, uh, one take, only one take. And uh, we ended up uh, doing it at midnight. So it took a lot, a lot of time to plan just that, that, um, that chat actually. And uh, yeah, it was so, it's such a great memory because we had <laughs> a lot of fun doing this and uh, it was amazing. And thank you so much to, to the hotel who allowed us <laughs> to block the elevators for six hours <laughs> oh, that's what no it really does work i promise you it on screen it's so effective <laughs> oh, great, because yeah we really wanted to do something like special you know <laughs> um so uh as i mentioned in my introduction you are yourself um obviously a filmmaker um would you ever want to make a, an adaptation of a stephen king uh, story or novel, and if so, uh, which one? Which one do you think would uh, would make it? Actually, I would be thrilled to to make um, to make an adaptation to direct an adaptation, and it's something that I would enjoy so much. You know, because when you are uh, taking so much time talking to all the directors, for sure, it's something that you think about uh, when you are a filmmaker, and um, it was like inspiring you know and um i i'm pretty sure if i had that chance so if anyone at the studios are listening <laughs> <laughs> any producers um i would go with uh juma key which oh, yes. is like good one choice of, yeah i think i i love that one uh or uh joyland i think mm -hmm. Those two books would be amazing in films. And uh, I think it could be great because they are doing, remaking a lot of Stephen King adaptations that have already been been made, like Pet mm. Christine, etc. And there are a lot of books that have not been adapted yet. And I think it's a shame because there are some great stories out there. Those are both excellent choices. I think with Duma Key, uh, you, the uh, the thing you'd have to get absolutely perfect would be the paintings. Yeah, for sure. But it's like an amazing, it would be amazing actually to work around that uh, kind of um, material, you know, uh, doing something like uh, it would, it, it could be really beautiful. I mean, on screen, it would be one of the, the, the best uh, uh, adapt I, I mean to to adapt I mean visually it's like uh, you've got so many possibilities I mean absolutely and I, I think uh, Lisi's story was one I, I think I didn't think they'd be able to adapt it for this for the screen but when you actually see it it really mm. works impressively so I, yeah there's, there's there's no limitations are there yeah absolutely. So uh, when can uh, Stephen King on screen be viewed by the public? When When is it out? Uh, well, actually, I know it will be out in uh, U.S. theaters at the end of uh, August, this August. 
and uh, in the UK it must be at the end of June, so pretty soon, <laughs> pretty soon. Excellent. So, uh, is that a theatrical release? You say, or will it be streaming? Uh, in the UK, I guess it's streaming, but uh, mm. in the United States, it will be in theaters. But uh, yeah, it could have been great to to see Stephen King on screen in UK theaters. That could it have would been. have been nice, yeah. <laughs> I would have liked that. <laughs> and so, um, lastly, uh, well, what's next for you, Daphne? What are, what are you working on next? Oh well, actually, I'm just finishing um, a documentary about adaptation somehow again uh, <laughs> because I'm, I worked on a film that's called um, Hitchcock uh, Pronazi Film, and it's the story uh, behind uh, his film Lifeboat and his collaboration with John Steinbeck, who at the time didn't like the film when it was released and asked the studio to remove his name from all the material uh, in, uh, in the film. So it was a very polemical um, film at the time. Uh, Dorothy Thompson, who was one of the most uh, influential journalists at the time, uh, asked, um, the film to leave the city to be removed completely. She wrote to the FBI because she wanted uh, the film to be like uh, removed from all the screens. So it was like an incredible story, actually. And uh, it's well, it's a documentary about the story behind this film and uh, talking about all those great people who worked around it. And is that in the research stage at the moment? Uh, no, actually, I just uh, I'm just finishing the, the the film right right now. It's uh, I'm uh, the work is uh, pretty much done, uh, and I'm starting another one uh, about uh, the actress Paulette Godard, mm. and uh, I'm working on several projects as well and uh, feature length uh, um, fiction uh, actually. So. I'm going on several projects uh, on my own as well. That sounds like a, that, that's a lot of work you've got. And I feel quite guilty about taking up half an hour of your time. So uh, <laughs> we're going to wrap this up here. Thank you so much for talking to me, uh, Daphne Bewea. And um, like, uh, as she said, Stephen King on screen will be released in the US in August and end of this month in the UK and I heartily recommend you check it out. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next month. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for joining us on another edition of the Constant Reader Podcast with me, your host, Richard Shepard. I'd like to give a special thanks to Dr. Linda Shepard for research and Stephen Leslie Parks for technical production. You can write to us at the Constant Reader Podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at The Constant Reader Podcast. And please feel free to rate, review, like, and subscribe to this podcast on wherever you can find podcasts. And we'll see you again next month for another deep dive into the work of Stephen King. Thank you very much. <laughs>